Tēnā koutou katoa, kei te whakarongo mai koe ki ngā ngaroa, ngā motu o te moana nui a kiwa mai i te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Ko Koroe Hawkins, aho. E hare ake nei. Recovery for PNG quake victims expected to take months. There would be hundreds all over the country who have suffered injuries from this one quake. Also? I think there's still um, a lack of understanding of our culture. More Maori and Pacific teachers needed to improve education outcomes and... For Solomon Island, this guide should be developed for the people living in informal settlements. Solomon Islanders are urged to use a new shelter guide. It'll be months before the lives of many of the people affected by the quakes in Papua New Guinea return to normal. That's the view of our PNG correspondent, Scott Waide. He told Don Wiseman that the death toll is continuing to climb with an estimated 12 deaths so far. Just yesterday, I received a message from someone from the Huon Gulf District, and I put a, an earlier alert out saying if you have any information about death tolls or the number of deaths or the injured, please send them to me because it's it's been difficult trying to get the correct information out from rural areas. The information will come, but it'll come within a week. So yesterday, somebody sent me a message, and this was from the Huon Gulf District. A 13-year-old girl and her 10-year-old cousin were retrieved. Their bodies were retrieved at a remote village in the mountains of Huon Gulf. They were buried Sunday morning, and on Monday, late Monday, they uh, retrieved the bodies, dug them out. And the information just came yesterday, was sent out yesterday, I think, to the disaster uh, and emergency people as well. There was another message that came in and that confirmed the deaths of four people who were buried. Again, the villagers dug them out uh, late Monday afternoon. Um, So three children and a mother who were buried with the landslide. So along with the one, two, three, four, five, six people, there's the other one from Marawaka, the 19-year-old girl who was killed and the husband of a woman who was medevaced into lay and he died upon arrival of his injuries. There are the reports of one death in the Rikos district of Medang province. Now, I haven't, I've had difficulty verifying that, but the information's come from multiple sources, including the new member for Rikos, Kesi Sawang, who's posted on her Facebook saying one person has died. There's also three reports from WOW that says that three people have been killed. Now, the Rikos one and the WOW one, I haven't been able to verify myself. Uh, So if we were to add all of that together, that that would give us a total of 12 people dead so far. And we know that there are hundreds injured, uh, some of them quite seriously, some of them not so much. Yes, smaller injuries, the people in the villages who are reporting it are not counting it, like scratches and all that, they're not counting it, but uh, you'd add them in as injuries. So yes, there would be hundreds all over the country who have suffered injuries from this one quake. And these people were, they were they've been choppered into places like Lai and Medang. Yes, the, the majority of them in the eastern highlands, because the majority of medivacs that have come uh, have come out of Lai and Mount Hagen. In terms of the, the impact on infrastructure that we've talked about earlier, how are things now in terms of roads and telecommunications? We're still having problems with telecommunications. Um, I, I was trying to do an interview with uh, the ABC last night and we, we had difficulty with the Zoom link. So that that's already an indication of that 
telecommunications uh, hasn't been fully restored. We had our power back two nights ago, but in other places they're still experiencing power blackouts. There, there was uh, an incident in Port Moresby uh, yesterday where the PNG power worker was uh, electrocuted. Thankfully, he survived trying to have the power restored. So it's a whole range of things that we need to deal with uh, in the coming days. The road situation is is something that the Department of Works and and uh, other departments responsible will have to provide an, an accurate assessment of the of the damage. I haven't been able to accurately verify the extent of damage. I've I've seen it in the in Morbe where I live and in parts of the Highlands, but not so much in other places. I haven't been really able to verify. A lot of these people would have had their food gardens affected, so there's going to be significant food shortages. Yes, that I guess is one of the biggest problems that we've had with trying to explain to overseas media about the extent of damage when there's an earthquake in Papua New Guinea because the damage is not visible. Uh, If it happens in a rural area, it's not visible because there are smaller huts and they they may be destroyed and then rebuilt uh, in a few days. The, The biggest challenge is in the destruction of water sources and food gardens when you have uh, landslides and the impact of that quake will be felt for months to come. Lifting educational levels for young Maori and Pacific students is only possible when there are more teachers who come from within these communities. This was the message from the Ministry of Education's Coupe Scholarship Awards hosted at Parliament Hall on Wednesday. Held annually, 26 Māori and Pacific high-achieving student teachers were recognised for their drive and desire to inspire the next generation. Susanna Suiswiki spoke to some of the award recipients at the conclusion of the event. As a panellist for the Kupes Scholarship Award, Dr. Losa Motaane says selectors were seeking recipients who not only performed well academically, but that they demonstrated leadership qualities. The community contributions was huge, but also their understanding, their vision in terms of how could they support Pacific in terms of the way forward for our um, community. Addressing the recipients at the Cooper Scholarship Awards, Associate Minister of Education Alpita Williams-Seal says Māori and Pacific students thrive when their classrooms are reflective of their language, identity and heritage. Minister Seal says the government aims to have 3,500 teachers fluent in te reo Māori by 2040. We've set an ambitious target to grow Māori medium and kaupapa Māori education over the next two decades. Achieving that would result in 60,000 more Māori learners in Māori medium and kopapa Māori education, 3,500 kayaka fluent in te reo Māori, and 250 more kura. Recipients of the Cooper Scholarship Award for the Māori cohort, Murihana Wilson, says one of the reasons why he wants to become a teacher is to provide cultural awareness for young students and set them up to be lifelong learners. Mr Wilson says while there's been a shift in the education system for Māori and Pacific students, having more teachers from the community is ideal. I think there's still um, a lack of understanding of our culture. Um, I know that our mainstream cousins uh, try to bring in all these values and principles, but I still think 
Um, it happens a lot more organically when it is someone that actually is from the culture. Overcoming her shyness with the help of her own teachers is something Tori Yosefo wants to pass on to her own students when she enters the teaching profession. As one of the Pacifica recipients, Ms Yosefo says the recognition means a lot to her, especially for her family, culture and community. Working as a teacher aide while juggling her studies, Ms Yosefo says her daughter is her biggest motivation. Uh, I had a big push. Uh, it was kind of like a leap of faith as well. Uh, I got a big push from teachers, principals uh, that I worked with when I was teacher aiding, um, also from my own family just and from myself, just wanting to be a role model for my daughter, someone to my daughter. Um, so, yeah. To read the full list of this year's scholarship award winners, head over to education.govt.nz slash scholarships. The developers of a Habitat for Humanity shelter guide for Solomon Islands are hoping it will be widely used to help create safer, more resilient and inclusive housing across the country. In April 2014, the passing cyclone Ita caused some of the worst flooding in the country's history, killing over 20 people and affecting around 50,000. Researchers and experts behind a new shelter guide for the country are urging local communities, government agencies, NGOs and all other stakeholders to make use of the research to both build better and stronger, but also respond effectively to shelter needs when disasters strike. Joining me now is a panel of a few of these experts. Thank you to us for sit down with Timifala Low Pacific Waves. Let's start with some introductions. Um, hi, my name is Mithul Fahanbati. I am a senior lecturer at RMIT University, and I am also a lead researcher um, as part of Climate Resilient Oniara Action Research Project, and uh, the recently developed shelter guide uh, for Habitat for Humanity, Fiji. Um, pass on to you, Doreen. Thank you. Uh, my name is Doreen Narayan, and uh, I'm the Australian Humanitarian Partnership Disaster Ready Project mm -hmm. Manager based in Fiji. And uh, we have worked in three countries, Solomon Islands, Vanuatu, and Fiji, for the development of the shelter guide. And we have worked very closely with uh, RMIT University in the production of this uh, guide for Solomon Islands. Steve? Thank you. Uh, I am Steve Daniel Nikaveke, coordinator of um, participatory urban settlement planning in Honiara for Solomon Islands, as well as coordinator for the um, shelter guide uh, work. Thank you, Tomas. Thank you, all of you. I'll start with you, Mitchell. If you can just let us, what is what is a shelter guide, and and why are you developing these things? Okay, um, so Shelter Guide is uh, a guide, provides guidance for um, a specific purpose in a specific country, but it's, the term shelter is used in context of disasters predominantly. For Solomon Island, this guide we felt uh, were, should be developed for the people living in informal settlements because that is a, a, a huge issue with urbanization and climate change. And the 
building construction code doesn't cater to the needs of the informal settlement. So this guide is uh, called Disaster Resilient and Inclusive Shelter Guide for Urban Informal Settlements in Boniara, Solomon Island. So we uh, try to incorporate the needs of women and people with disabilities in this guide uh, on top of uh, the housing being disaster resilient. So just last point, the guide is for the shelter responders, as in the international and local shelter responders who play a major role in preparing the shelter before a disaster occurs or af immediately after a disaster has happened uh, in terms of eva managing evacuation uh, centers or cleanup and in the long term as in rebuilding or retrofitting of damaged houses. Probably uh, coming to you, um... Uh, in regards to the to the the funding side of this, why why is it that you feel this is something important to support? Thanks, Karoy. I think uh, I'll just answer from a more regional perspective as to how the idea of coming up with these three guides came up in the first place. So this was uh, through um, a number of meetings held at cluster level, specific cluster networking level, on the, what are the gaps? Why, you know, what is it that people need? Uh, so one of two of the things that was pointed out uh, through those meetings was, firstly, the absence of uh, uh, resource material absence of a, a strong technical resource also inclusive of community voices and you know inclusion in it people with disabilities and women so there was an apps you know there was absence of a guide to help strategize and assist shelter responders but primarily to um, to help with their work and implement their shelter response more strategically and effectively so that was one reason why it was needed and secondly uh, we all know after a disaster everything is chaotic right and everybody is hunting and looking for information so that's uh, that's probably not the right time to look for or want uh, to have more information so having uh, a guide prepared in advance is a good uh, guidance for responders not just responders for um, other sector coordinators and stakeholders and the government as well to have something that's already organized for them to uh, you know have have look at and to um strengthen the coordination that's going on uh, before disaster and during a disaster also so it's uh, it's a, the three guides basically is a mere suggestion uh we're not saying this is the only way this is a suggestion for the stakeholders uh, to uh, to make use of it and maximize the the knowledge and information shared in it uh, to help them coordinate uh, things uh, before and after disaster nicely and also um, just uh, basically it's also more of a one quick stop shop for them so rather than going to 10 different resources or trying to look for the right information so the guide basically has most of it you know that that uh, uh, shelter responders and other responders to basically uh, that uh, the information they look for. And uh, yeah. just coming to you, Steve, on from the law, side law, Solomon Islands, like perspective, what what kind of input are you putting into this, and what kind of I guess context or strategies are Solomon specific that are coming into the Solomon guide? Thank you. I think first and foremost, 
we need to appreciate where the informal settlements are. In Honiara, most of our more than 40 informal settlements are in valleys. And almost every time there is a disaster, um, climate change related disaster, some houses get washed away. Well, during the, the uh, 2014, was it 2014 yeah. floods, where a number of uh, homes uh, got washed out or washed away by the floods. And even those houses that were not washed away, there is need to assess them, how they built, uh, where their location is, what kind of materials they were using. And there was an earlier report, if I may just refer, refer to, there was an earlier study by, done by um, Charles Boyle. Now you may know about Charles Boyle. And he was, him with another person funded by Australia, they did a study on that. Um, what we do have now as a result of this, uh, uh, this uh, work is something more, uh, perhaps more detailed and more broad um, than what was done before. So, it can be, this study can also, this, the result of this study can also be replicated in other informal settlements that we have in other parts of, um, of Solomon Islands, the urban places like Aupi, Kirakira, Noru, Rizzo. So it is, it is very, very important. And, and for, the, for the government, having worked within the Ministry of Lands, the Ministry of Lands still has the policy of upgrading of informal settlements. Now, that term upgrading covers a lot of things. It covers basic services, but it must also include uh, shelter. What type of shelter do we have in there so people don't, uh, don't get what impacted so badly upon by um, natural disaster, climate change natural disaster. Can I just add one one point to that? Yeah. Before we jump to another question, just very quickly, just on the regional level, it was also acknowledged that the voice of the most um, minorities, which are women and people with disabilities, especially in shelter sector, it was largely not acknowledged. So through this research and the production of the guide, is basically an opportunity to um, give voice to the most vulnerable. Nga mihi mo te whakarongomai koina te mutunga o ngangaru te moana nui a kiwa. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Tāki te anō. <laughs>